We are back, guys. The Blue Bloods are here with another full episode of college football content for your Thursday. We start the episode by breaking down UConn's decision to cancel the 2020 football season. And then we're going to move on to the Colorado State scandal involving COVID-19 and their testing protocols. We're then going to break down the 2020 ACC schedule that was released. And of course, guys, you know what we do here. We wrap it up with a recruiting update and we're going to head to the SEC and analyze the Auburn Tigers. We have a full show today, guys. So let's kick it off. Today, the UConn Athletic Department announced that the school will not have a football season this year due to the COVID-19 outbreak. Athletic Director David Benedict said that the challenges created by COVID-19 placed the student-athletes at an unacceptable level of risk. UConn was going to compete as an independent program this year after leaving, quote-unquote, or aka if you want to look at it, getting kicked out of the AAC last season, which was going to cause a lot of difficulties in scheduling due to most Power 5 conferences not allowing out-of-conference games. Four games of the Husky schedule were already canceled due to the COVID-19 outbreak. But Brandon, what is your take on this decision by the Huskies? And do you think being being an independent program now made the decision much easier? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, to me, th- this is one of those sort of things where, you know, you're in high school and your girlfriend just broke up with you right before prom. And so you're like, you know what? I'm just not going to go to prom because who was going to schedule UConn this season? If they would have decided to play, who would have scheduled them? Because there's all of these conferences that are doing conference only. Then there's the ACC and Big 12 that are doing conference only plus one out of conference game. But tell me who is scheduling UConn, Zach, if they do decide to play this season. Um, I mean, if, if I want an easy win on my schedule, I guess I'm scheduling UConn. Yeah, but no one's going to do it. Who wants to watch UConn play? When's the last time you watched a I UConn don't. football game, Zach? It, it's been a minute. Uh, yeah, I know, like conflict, it, maybe. Yeah, I think yeah I maybe. That. Maybe. Yeah, I, think I watched that this past season. But other than that, I, I mean, UConn basketball, sure. UConn football, no chance. I mean, well, UConn's women's women's basketball over their football team. Uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, that's the best every day. Yeah, yeah, that's the top. But, you know, Brandon, I, f- I agree with everything that you're going with here. And we disagree a lot on this show, but I don't think we can disagree. I don't think we disagree at all here. I mean, and I just want to add on to what you said here. I love that you use the example of prom because the the – Example I have in my notes here is, to me, this sounds like the kid on the playground who had who had no friends that no one wanted to play with, saying that they just didn't want to play anyway. And, <laughs> you know, like mine might have been a little darker than yours because I mean, you know, like prom it is what it is. Uh, you know, but let's be honest. Let's okay. Let's start here, Brandon. Let's recap the recent success of UConn football, shall we? Um, okay. We'll we'll start with the positive note. 
In 2015, they went six and seven. They went to a bowl game. They were 500 in the AAC. That's it's respectable for a program like UConn, I would say. I, I don't I don't have too many bows to pick with this one, but it's going to get real dark here, guys. Um, in 2016, they go three and nine with only one conference win in the AAC, and then they go three and nine again in 2017, and they get lucky. They win a second AAC game, but then. Everything fell apart. 2018, Brandon, 1 and 11, 0 and 8 in the AAC, and their one win was a seven point win over Rhode Island. Yeah, man. <laughs> Look, it, it, nothing's looking up for UConn whatsoever. They're just hoping that basketball season starts this season because if it, or this year, because if it doesn't, it's going to be a dark, dark path for, for UConn. We can get a lot darker than your example of the kid at the playground, Zach. This is more like UConn going, well, we'll see if anyone misses me when I'm gone. And that's that's exactly what's going on here. They needed some attention. They're not playing football this year. <laughs> and you know, I'm going to keep adding on to this. Brandon, 2018, they only had one game outside of their one win. That was that was a one-score game, and that was against UMass. Every well, other UMass, game, they got the blown way, out. If you didn't know, UMass, not good at football. I mean, they're also independent and not by choice. <laughs> Are they independent? I, like, I, I even thought they might have dropped down to like D2. No, they're independent. Oh, gosh, that's tough. Um, and Brandon, in last year, 2-10, and 0-8 in the AAC again. And listen, it gets worse. So they actually beat, beat UMass last year. Brandon, their second win was over Wagner. Do you can do you know where Wagner is? Um, I can guess. I, I think this could be fun. Uh, South Carolina. No, it's a small liberal arts school in Connecticut. So it just beat up on like on like the junior college of the state. <laughs> the junior college, yeah. They just went and played East Mississippi, and they didn't even beat Wagner by that much. It, it was like it was not a blowout, and they only had three games. That were within eight points, and it was against East East Carolina, not a great team. Illinois, who had horrible games all year except for the one game that where they you know upset a top ten team in the country, and then Houston after all their players quit. Yeah, I mean it's after their players quit. Ah, UConn, you, uh, look, we've already covered UConn trying to do everything they can. Um, to get their name out there. And that's why they started the civil conflict. You know, their, their rivalry in quotes with, uh, with the UCF. It, it's just, they need attention. They need it badly. And now, you know what? I, I bet the civil conflict would have happened this year. I bet I have, have the AAC announced their plans for this season yet. Um, I believe that I don't think they've officially announced, but last I read is they were planning on going with a full season. Right. <laughs> Really? So they just, there yes. were no precautions there. They were just like, you know what? Let's play ball. Same for the Sun Belt. The Sun Belt said they're just going forward with everything. Well, we call it the Fun Belt for a reason, I guess. <laughs> but, Brandon, I mean, this program, five, I mean, 15 and 46 since 2015, and they only had two wins in the last three years in the AAC. No, yeah. I mean, that, they're, they're, they're gone. Good. That's one of the worst stretches in college football. Listen, I know we have some listeners that might know this. We did not forget about Kansas nor Rutgers, but that's not about the it's not this is not about them right now. They already have it bad enough. So we're gonna ignore them for now. But I mean, are we really surprised that no conference wanted to take a chance at UConn? I mean, 
the only conference I was looking at some group of five conferences that could maybe the Mac some Mac <laughs> show Tuesday be, night. That would be electric. I'd love that. But I mean, if this school doesn't start showing us some improvement, why would the Mac? I mean, I think if you put UConn in the Mac last year, I don't know if they win a game anyway. I mean, the Mac showed up in bowl season too. They had some really, really good wins. Yeah. Yeah, Central Central Michigan was no joke. I mean, and they were ready to fight about it too after their yeah, ball win. In case you <laughs> forgot about that. But we're talking about the top of the MAC right now. I want to I want to talk about the nitty gritty. I want to talk about like Toledo. Is what I want to talk about. I, I'm taking Toledo over UConn. Okay, well, fair enough. I, I I don't know. So the reason this like rubs me the wrong way is like I feel like UConn needed this season to develop some hope or at least like. If if you were going into the job market, which I mean that's kind of what UConn's doing, going into the job market, like hey, like I need a job, you know, I just got fired from the AAC. Why would why would why would any player stay if you were canceling the season and now your school's not in a conference? And I mean, this isn't like Notre Dame staying independent because they're going to make billions off of the NBC deal. This is UConn being independent because they have to because they suck that bad. <laughs> because every other conference said, uh, I don't. Maybe next year we'll think about it and we'll we'll get back yeah, to you. Right? And like if Notre Dame right now said, "Hey, I'm a free agent. Come sign me." Every single conference in the country would throw whatever Notre Dame needed their way. They joined the Pac-12. Oh <laughs> they god, didn't make any sense. It'd, that'd be upsetting. But you know, the, this also rubbed me the wrong way because I mean, I talked about it with the Big Ten announcement. There was like some virtue signaling in their um, president's and their athletic director's statement, and I. Did you read the player statement, Brandon? No. By chance, I sent some like serious pain, and I I really want to reach out to some of these players and tell them it's going to be okay. The the last line of the player statement said, quote, we knew there would be challenges presented by the pandemic, but it became apparent to us that these challenges were impossible to overcome. Oh, there's just no hope. I mean, gave up. Is there is there is there, are the challenges really impossible to overcome? I mean, the NBA's had zero positive COVID tests since they've restarted the season. I mean, yeah, the MLB's doing, doing a great right way. The MLB's MLB doing is not doing okay. They are, they are not doing a great job. No, the MLB's doing a great job, except two teams who didn't follow the rules. Well, fair, but I don't think they're doing a very good job, and that's the ones. There have been a lot of positive tests, Zach. That's, that's the MLB. Okay, so maybe the MLB is the best example, but the teams that are following the protocols the MLB put in place are doing okay. Right. The Dodgers aren't out there going to bars a- after their games and half the team having to get quarantined. No, they're just losing to the Padres. Yeah, that's all. That's a that's another conversation for another podcast right there because that's tough. But and you know even college football. I mean, outside of. One team who I'll address them in a second. I mean, college football's done an excellent, excellent job as well. I mean, we've seen only a handful of positive tests from schools who have been on campus for a while. I mean, Auburn, I know, had three when they got to campus. And since then, I believe they've had none reported. Well, I mean, it's very good. And and LSU has only had a handful. Bama had a handful coming in. I mean, schools, this is doable if you do it right. I mean, yeah. and I think the NBA is the best example of that. Like, yes, you probably can't go to Disney World with college football, but you can quarantine. We've talked about it on the podcast. And listen, I know a team like Rutgers is going to screw it up because they did. They threw it on campus party. 
I think they're up to what twenty seven players who have COVID now. It's is like the like last report. I know Houston's up there too, and because they also the did the season. same thing. This is going to be the second season in a row that half of Houston's team sits out, and it's just it's not looking good. It's tough. I mean, listen, Rutgers is bad enough. I mean, they're already bringing college football's perception down enough with that god awful team they put on the field every week. Let's be honest. Right. I mean, for Rutgers to be in the Big Ten is a disgrace. But, you know, for me, I think UConn knew its fate. So why not spin it as we're looking out for the players, especially with all the media coverage the Pac-12 players are getting right now, demanding stricter COVID stuff. So if you're a school that is going to have problems scheduling uh, games, if you're going to have a school who doesn't have a conference and a school that really doesn't have a lot going for it, why not spin it and just play it off as like the, oh, we care about our players more than these other schools. Yeah, fair. I mean, fair enough. Uh, I don't know. I think football is going to be fine. College football is not going to miss uh, UConn. It's going to survive as long as the players follow the protocol set in place. Uh, this is going to happen, guys. And I don't know about you, Brandon. I'm I'm counting down the days to September 26th when most of these conferences kick off the season. Yo, I absolutely am too. I, I've got my calendar up, and I've got uh, however many more days until freedom arrives. And that's that's just what I wake <laughs> up to every single morning. Oh, God. But, guys, we are going to go ahead, move on here, and we're going to talk about a report come, that came out from the, I believe it's the Colorado, the, I don't even know how to say this, the Coloradian or something like that. It's a, it's a newspaper in Colorado from Miles Bloomhart. He reported that multiple anonymous players and anonymous athletic staff told him that coaches have told players not to report symptoms related to COVID and even threaten a lack of playing time for those who have to quarantine along with altering the contact tracing reports uh, to avoid other players from being uh, quarantined because of that. So Colorado State's president, Joyce McConnell, has officially launched an investigation into these claims. Um, and so far, Colorado State has had 16 confirmed, confirmed cases this past Sunday, along with over 27 players missing in the last week. Um, and to make matters even more complicated, because there's always two sides to the story, Brandon, and it can never be, but it can never just be one thing. Um, multiple players have come to Twitter in defense of Colorado State and called the report fake and even accused anonymous players of lying and accused uh, the journalist, Miles Bloomhart, of being a crappy journalist. Um, Graduate transfer Scott Patchen even went as far as to ask for the source's names and that when he showed symptoms was urged to call the trainers and doctors and that the team has meetings every morning to stress the importance of doing the right thing and check for symptoms. And so far, last time I checked, but right before we recorded, it was almost 10 players have called the report, quote unquote, BS and questioned the reporting ethics of Bloomheart. So... Brandon, your take on this and could this do you think anything's going to come of the investigation at least? Um I don't know, man. What a, what an awful story really uh, out of Colorado State. I mean, who would have thought um you know, we just talked about UConn who's the first team to opt out of the 2020 season. Looks like we have we're about to have the first team to be banned from the 2020 season because they're just going to end up spreading COVID across the nation. 
be the biggest spike in the in the country's history so far. We've had some pretty big spikes. How? What do you mean we're gonna suppress the, the cases? You can't. They can't. Oh man, that, that frustrates me to no end. Um, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and air this out. I I hope that they get banned from college football this year. Oh, that's oh. okay. I do. Okay. I, I mean. It's not like it's just the coach saying, hey, do this. And then the players are like, okay, if we have to, the players are going along with it. The players are like, yeah, let's, let's, let's hide this and let's, let's spread this. Because, I, I mean, you talked about the positives. What do you think happens when they go play games? What do you think happens when they get onto the field? Do you think that they're just keeping it to themselves? Do you think they're spreading it to the other team? No, I mean, they're definitely going to spread it if this is the case. I mean, and, you know, I, so I don't think this is a good look for Colorado State either. And even if the accusations, Brandon, are are not proven or they're proven to be false or only half true, I think this is really, really bad for college football. Because, I mean, we both know people who are non-football fans, non-sports fans, who are already skeptical of playing anyway and are only looking for one reason to shut this down. Right. Absolutely. And, it's like, why would you want this to hit the media? I mean, who's already struggling to cover stuff, and then they're going to just make everyone question more, why, why, why are we putting these college kids in danger? But I'm taking a little bit of a different approach here, Brandon. I guess because I I, after I got off work today, I was a little bored and did some investigative digging myself, and I think my BS meter's a little is ringing a little off the chart on this report. And before you say like, oh, you're just defending college football. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Hear me out. Brandon, who has more player? Who has more power by a significant amount? Mountain West athletes or Pac-12 athletes? Uh, Pac-12 athletes. By a large amount, right? Like by an astronomical amount. Right. And if I'm a Mountain West player, I know that if I release a letter to the Players' Tribune, it's probably not getting much it's probably not getting much airtime like the Pac-12 story is, right? Right. So if I was trying to make changes within the program or make an impact kind of like the Pac-12 players are doing, isn't this the best way to do it on a smaller scale where you don't have as big of a platform? Well, I mean, I suppose. Because I've, I've real deal. So based on what I, the, because I, I looked at the players who spoke out. Um, against this because, of course, you know, if it's like senior players, if it's players who play a lot, if it's players who are going to be real connected to the coaches, then like it raises a few red flags, Brandon. But this, the, the different, the, I guess the makeup of this committee that's like speaking out of this is so diverse. I mean, we had true freshmen who are just now getting to campus speaking out. You had, you had, uh, graduate transfers that just came in you have seniors juniors sophomores i mean the spread here is outrageous and if if these things were 100 percent true and after the investigation was announced you knew you were going to get caught why would these players be openly putting their name out there to refute this story when they know it's a, after the investigation it's going to come out that it's true yes and, I mean, this is turning into like the conspiracy hour. Was no, 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 no. It's not. No, it's not. Listen, anytime I read something and it says an anonymous source, I'm already skeptical because if it was true or you or like you really feel like that, put your name behind it. Don't, I don't know, man, because but, people are but, afraid of repercussions. Like people, that's that's like a legitimate thing. 
Yeah, but I, in a situation like this, I mean, I'm always skeptical of anonymous sources, and a lot of these players coming forward have just as much to lose as these anonymous players do. Because I mean, and a lot of these players are starters and stuff like that. So wouldn't the coaches be harder on the starter who has to quarantine rather than a third or fourth string player? I mean, probably, yeah. So the one of the players is a potential starting quarterback. He's a graduate transfer from Temple. Um, his name is Todd Centio. And this is why this got me down the rabbit hole, Brandon, because his tweet held more his his tweet held more power to me than other players because he missed some games in high school and has had some health problems. And so he is extremely, extremely high risk for this virus. And if he gets it, like there's a good chance that he wouldn't make it. And right. he, he tweeted, quote, coming from a player with a compromised immune system, I never once felt like CSU football ever put me or my life in jeopardy. I felt very comfortable and safe while going through both voluntary and mandatory workouts. And these allegations are simply not true. And I feel like someone whose life is real deal on the line with this, like just, just an average person's life's on the line, but these compromised immune, these people with compromised immune systems are even at a higher risk. So the fact that he's speaking out so vigorously and has come out with even more tweets and spoken out more, I take his word at it more than these anonymous sources because he has probably more at stake than absolutely anybody because he he's missed games. He's had he's had to fight and he's still managing this illness. And so for me, like if I see a player like that speaking out, then I have no doubt that the protocols are in place or like we could see someone like him really, really be in trouble here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying there. But at the same time, I mean, it was the first thing out of your mouth. He's a potential starting quarterback. You know, maybe he's trying to protect that. He's trying to – I don't. I mean, while I don't think it's okay to put your life at risk for that sort of thing, I mean, if, if, if these health problems are, are as big of a deal as, as, as is being let on right now, then why is he playing at all? I, I mean, no matter how safe you are, if you're playing teams that – are not quarantined in one facility like you are with the NBA right now, then you're exposing yourself to illness. So obviously, I, I mean, we see this this guy is going out there exposing himself every single day. Uh, I don't know. It, to me, uh, if there's allegations that are this serious, I'm at least going to take a look at it. I'm not just going to uh, oh, no. shy away from it. Yeah, no, I, I definitely am interested to see what the investigation's like. And I'm just saying, like, I'm a little skeptical right now before I, like, crucify the staff and crucify this university because it also could be that since, there, since it's such a large amount of tests, I was reading from another ESPN guy that it could be that these players came out anonymously because they thought they might get in trouble for violating protocols. And so yeah. getting out of it and blaming it on the staff for not doing the right thing takes the blame off of you like there's a lot of theories out there but the fact that this kid does have a compromised immune system and you say like why are you playing well he only has like i think believe i believe he only has one more year eligibility so he's fighting for an, a potential nfl spot and if protocols are you see it in like i said the sec schools if protocols are followed then the risk of infection is much lower than if your own teammates aren't following them if your yeah. coaches and 
people you're around the most part of the time. Because, I mean, they're going to be on campus, what, 99% of their time. So if those people aren't following the rules, that really, really puts them in much more danger than just playing football. No, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. And and you're kind of speaking to my point here. So, I mean, we're, we're I think we're both pretty set in, in, in our arguments. I don't think we're really making a lot of uh, traction here. <laughs> I also don't like that's an internal investigation. I think we've both been vocal on this, even with the Mike Gundy situation. I mean, how much weight does an internal investigation hold? No, I mean, none, because all it does is uh, – a whole internal investigation does is allow your camp to to put out their sto- their side of the story. There's no other side of the story. You just see one uh, perspective. Yeah, and well, the only the only thing that gives me a little bit different hope is like the the Oklahoma State Athletic Department investigated itself. This is coming from like the president of Colorado State. Yeah, so that, that's it a lot could be better. a li- it it could be a little less biased, but I still think if they if it came out that it was if it was something like they banned Matt like something just outrageous, I think they could maybe switch <laughs> no on the rugs. Yeah, like no like you walk in the door, there's a mask, you get it, give it to me in the trash. But like nothing like that's going to come out, and I do expect the outcome of this to be stricter protocols, stricter testing. Um, you know, I maybe a fine if they find a coach uh did anything, but I don't think the head coach is gonna be in trouble. Um I don't I don't think any of the players are gonna have any ramifications. I, I think this is gonna be kind of like one of those things where it's gonna be what is it? It's Wednesday at six o'clock. It's gonna be like a two forty five report where it's like, Hey, we we find them a hundred K and now we're like moving on. Just something like just yeah. out in the middle of nowhere. They're gonna get ahead of this and the only thing I'm worried about is the chemistry issues, man. It that team is going to really, really be on its toes now. It thinking that there's some players in here who like could be working against them. I mean, you could see some. We got it, some snitches. Yeah, like, and this is you know uh, Steve um, Steve's first year as the head coach coming from Boston College, so. It, for his team to already have potential chemistry issues is a huge, huge disadvantage here. Oh, yeah, for sure. Ah, man. Guys, COVID is changing a lot here, but we'll keep you guys updated when the results of this investigation come out. I'm assuming it'll probably be, what, a week or two, maybe. Uh, they're going to try to get this out ASAP to get their name out of the news. But we're going to go ahead and move on here. Um, and the ACC – is one of only three conferences now because I believe the Big Ten released theirs today. So now the ACC, yeah. Pac-12, and Big Ten have released their schedules officially. Right. I, I believe. Uh, we're still waiting on the SEC. I don't know what they're doing out there. But, um, you know, this is a perfect time to do some early breakdowns of these schedules. We're going to start with the ACC here. We're not making our official predictions yet, so don't tune in for that. We're going to hold off because the season got pushed back. So we're going to hold off on our predictions right now, but we're going to debate some things like who has the easiest path to the ACC title, who got lucky in this schedule, I guess, reshuffle. And then we're going to see some teams who caught some unlucky breaks. They just have a brutal new schedule. And we're going to say, like, does this change any expectations for teams or coaches? So, Brandon, let's start with what team had what team or teams have the easiest schedule for the newest update for the ACC. The easiest schedule, I think, by far has to be NC State, out of what I saw, because they didn't draw Clemson or Notre Dame. Um, they, I, I mean, it, it's, I'm not going to say any, there's never really a super easy schedule, 
especially this year in the ACC. I mean, you still have teams, you know, even if you don't draw Clemson and and uh, Notre Dame, which are probably the two best teams this year. Uh, I know you want to say North Carolina, um, but uh, <laughs> but I'll hold uh, off. I'll hold off on it right now. I mean, North Carolina is my next team with the easiest schedule, but NC State for sure, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have games. Uh, they have to play Miami, but Miami they're playing at home. They don't have to go visit Miami. Uh, their their tough road games, I guess, would be North Carolina. They play Pitt in Pittsburgh, um, and that's is that it? Because they play Virginia Tech, I guess, on the road. But other than that, I mean, who are they playing? I mean, Virginia. Virginia is going to be pretty bad this year. I mean, I think you've spoken to that. Um, yeah. Who, who, is Syracuse going to be a tough game on the road? Is Georgia Tech going to be a tough game at home? No. Probably NC not. State has, NC State probably has the easiest schedule imaginable, <laughs> in, in the ACC at least. And then we move on to a team that you're probably going to have on here is North Carolina. And I, I, I'll have to agree with you. I think they might have the easiest path uh, to the ACC championship game this year. Just because, uh, you know, they're the toughest game they're going to have all season is going to be against Miami in Coral Gables. You know, they're they're playing on the road for that one. But other than that, I, I mean, they didn't draw Clemson. They they have to play Notre Dame, but that game's at home. Uh, you know, they didn't draw Pitt. They didn't. I mean, so they, I don't know. I guess luck of the draw is what you can chalk this one up to. Uh, and so, Zach, I don't know what you better start doing, but you better start thanking somebody, whoever chose this schedule, because I, I think North Carolina is a, a pretty strong pick to make it to the ACC championship game this year. Yeah, I don't know if if they will, but they'll definitely be at the top of the conference. <laughs> hey, I've been trying to tell you guys, regardless of schedule, it doesn't matter. No, um, not regardless of schedule. When they don't play Clemson <laughs> in the- and they don't, when they when they play Notre Dame at home, then yeah, okay. I know, I know. I mean, I have a different team than both of the teams you gave. So, uh, I, you know, I have the Louisville Cardinals, man. I mean, do you? Th- yes, they, they their toughest games are mostly at home, which bodes well for a good season. Um, they don't play Clemson, so that's huge. They don't play UNC. Another huge thing. So, you know, their home games are Syracuse, Florida State, Wake Forest, Miami, and Virginia Tech. I mean, I think Wake Forest without Jamie Newman's probably going to be a, a middle-of-the-road team at best. I think Syracuse is going to be god-awful again. Florida State, I have my questions about, which I'm sure you do as well, um, especially with what we saw earlier this spring where players were boycotting practices. Like, who knows what they're going to look like and. Having Miami and Virginia Tech at home is a huge thing for Louisville, especially as a team who's rebuilding like Louisville. I mean, they what they dominated Mississippi State in the um, Music City Bowl. So they have a lot going back for them. So to have these two games at home are huge. And they only have one tough away game, in my opinion, or maybe two, depending on who you talk to. You'll you'll understand what I mean by that, Brandon, when I say it. They have Boston College trash, right? They just lost their coach. Boston College doesn't have much going for it. They have Georgia Tech, you already said, garbage. Notre Dame is the one key here. They have to win this Notre Dame game. Then they have Pitt and Virginia. Virginia's not going to be very good. Pitt, I think, is going to be just below good, probably middle of the road. And, you know, I think Louisville's going to be good, but the fact that they're returning so many starters, I think they're going to be good on the road. So I think they'll 
they're going to blow through the schedule. And uh, I really believe that their two toughest games are Miami and Notre Dame. Yeah. No, I mean, those are going to be the two toughest games for anybody in this in this conference this season. Yeah, and what about Clemson, man? Clemson really doesn't have a – I mean, outside of their road game against Notre Dame, does Clemson really have a, a difficult schedule? No, but the reason I kept them off is, one, because they're Clemson, and they could have had any schedule, and they probably would have made it to the ACC championship game. That's a thousand percent. And that one road game to Notre Dame, I mean, that that's – the toughest thing they're going to face, you know, that's if I, I mean, I had to scale it obviously, because like I just said, you know, they're Clemson. So, so I had to put it on a scale. And when you measure, when you measure up and you see that one road game, I mean, that's the toughest possible thing they could have faced and they got it. So I couldn't put them on my easiest schedules. I got you there. I got, I, I feel that. I mean, I feel like I just had to mention Clemson because not only are they the best team by leaps and bounds in this conference, they got to avoid UNC somehow. Like, uh, I guess they were just trying to save the, I don't know, but I want to move on to a brutal schedule. Brandon, I feel like we're going to have the same team here. I might be jumping a gun here, but do you have Florida state? I don't, well, they're not my toughest schedule, but uh, yeah, they're, okay. they're, they're on my, they're, they're, Matt, they're in my top two. I mean, Florida state, man, they, they have to play, I would say arguably six of the top eight teams in this conference. I mean, <laughs> right. It's brutal for a first-year head coach in Norval, especially in a COVID-altered, I guess, uh, spring training, summer training, whatever you want to say. But let's just start with their three toughest road games. They have to go to Louisville, to Miami, and to Notre Dame. And, I mean, all three all three of these teams are expected to compete here. Louisville, like I said, eight-win season, return a bunch of starters. And Miami, the best defensive line in the country. They bring in De'Aaron King, which I think is always an X-factor. And it should help a struggling offense. And then you got Notre Dame. I mean, Ian Book, is that all I have to say right there? And just what Notre Dame's been in the past few years? And so I think Notre Dame immediately is the number two team in this conference when you add them. I mean, and if not two, they're three because they have so much talent on both sides of the ball. So you have to go play all three of those teams on the road. And then home games, Brandon, Clemson, UNC, Pitt, I mean, in Clemson and UNC, you have two of the three best teams in the conference, and then a dark horse where some people are saying that they they have talent on both sides of the ball and can make a can make a sneaky run here, depending on how their quarterback plays out and how he matures. So, not only that, you have Trevor Lawrence and Sam Howell that's going to test this young Florida State defense and. I, I I really don't know if Florida State's going to survive this schedule, man. Like looking at the schedule, like I was kind of making predictions in my head for like a later episode. I'm like, man, Florida State's going to be really, really tough to finish in the top half of the ACC. Yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, so I'll go ahead and move on to my team, who I believe has the toughest schedule in this conference in this year, and I think that's Wake Forest. Uh, and not that oh, I thought yeah. that they had a chance to make it to the ACC championship in the first place, but not definitely not now because not not only do they draw one of the uh, of the three toughest um, teams in this conference this season, but they drew all three of them. They got Clemson, Miami, and Notre Dame. Granted, they're all at home, um, so you know take that as you will. I mean, maybe you're gonna take it with a grain of salt. I won't because they're still gonna lose all three of these games. 
Then they have North Carolina on the road. They have Louisville on the road. And then they still are Wake Forest. So that Syracuse game isn't going to be easy. Duke's not going to be easy. Virginia and Virginia Tech aren't going to be easy. So, uh, I mean, what does Wake Forest have to look forward to this season? If I have to make a prediction, uh, I'd say they're probably going to call up the NCAA in the next few days and sit this one out with UConn. <laughs> I like that pick. I mean, I didn't have them on here, but I guess it's also could be because I didn't expect much from Wake Forest, regardless of the schedule they had. That, right? Honestly, probably. But I mean, uh, my honorable mentions were Syracuse and Pitt. I mean, Man, Syracuse Pitt's schedule is brutal, by the way. Uh, both, the, I mean, <laughs> Sy- dude, Syracuse's road games, right? They're five road games. Clemson. Louisville, UNC, Notre Dame, and Pitt. Yeah, it's, that's. Are that's you serious? <laughs> it's also They're, Syracuse, so. Yeah, exactly. So I don't even see them being competitive in any of those. No, they won't be. That for a rebuilding team, that may have been one of the worst draws of all time for road games. I mean, good yeah. lord, dude! You had that's arguably the top five in this conference. Yeah, and you get them all on the road yeah. in the same season. That's crazy. And then Pitt, they may be a a dark horse, but I don't see many games where I'm like, oh, that's going to be a, that's a win, that's a win. I mean, well, they have. Go ahead. And what and what sucks for Pitt is that their schedule just got exponentially harder since this new schedule's been announced. Um, it's outrageous, man. Yeah, it's bad. Well, well, well they got they, they get screwed because they do have some. At least they get to at least unlike Syracuse, they get to play some of their hard games at home. I mean, they get Louisville, Notre Dame, and Virginia Tech coming to Pittsburgh, but I don't I don't think I don't think Pitt's guaranteed to win any of those games. I think those games are going to be. No. I, I think Virginia Tech might be the one question mark, depending on how if that team continues the trajectory that they ended the season with last year, but. Notre Dame's gonna be a serious test for Pitt, and Louisville is no joke, man. I don't, I don't think Louis, I don't think Louisville is getting enough respect from average college football fans as a team that can really compete because they have some serious talent coming back, and their road games, man. Pitt has to go to Clemson, to Florida State, and to Miami's, and to Miami, and so those two trips to Florida is is I think Pitt will beat Florida State, but I don't think that's a get. I don't think that's a gimme game. No, it's it's definitely not. And you know, I don't think Pitt's going to even compete with Clemson. Let's be honest there. I don't think anybody expects Pitt to complete compete with Clemson. And man, I you know, I'm not. Are you are you confident that Pitt's offensive line can hold up against Miami's defensive line? I'm not, and that's going to be that's going to be a, well. I'm going to say I would say it would be a fun game to watch, but I don't really like defensive battles. I think this can be a definite defensive battle. It'll be a good game. Yeah, because but- I. It, it that's what I, I'm worried too because I mean Miami doesn't have a very good offensive line so that pit defensive line is no joke as well so uh, that that's going that, that's going to be one of those three two games there's someone's going to get a safety and someone's going to kick a field goal to win that's, that's that's my prediction here but and I I just you know that's what kind of these conference schedules get me off because I mean you have teams like Pitt in the ACC Minnesota in the Big Ten. Um, who do you want to put in the Pac-12? Arizona State in the Pac-12, Tennessee in the SEC. And these teams are teams that were primed to make a big jump or be a dark horse contender for their conference. Well, Pitt wasn't planning on what playing Notre Dame. 
They uh, no. you're gonna have to travel to Clemson to Miami and Florida State now, and you have to and and you don't get those break games where you get to play a non-power five opponent. I mean, you you have to play every week in and week out, and so this season, I think we're gonna find out who the deepest and most physically ready teams are in the country because you're gonna have you, there's not gonna be a week where you can rest your starters. No, there's not uh, going to be for uh, especially in conferences like. The Big Ten or the – well, maybe – well, okay, if you play Rutgers, you might get to rest your starters. But, I mean, even like the Pac-12, I mean, I was looking at their schedule today. I mean, there's not there's not many games for Oregon to sit there, you know, Tyler Shaw and let him rest. They're going to have to play right. four, four quarters most likely. And same for the ACC. I mean, outside of maybe Syracuse, like I don't think you're going to rest your starters. And – I'm really I, I don't know about you, Brandon. As much as I wish there was a normal costball season, I am really, really intrigued with this. I don't think I've been more intrigued with the season in my life. Uh yeah. You it, it's definitely going to be different than any other season, but I mean that's the case for anything that you can talk about this year. Uh, I mean, you could have given me I mean, you could have given me NASCAR and I would have been like, I don't watch NASCAR. I've never seen a NASCAR race in my life. But if you would have asked me if this would be the most interesting NASCAR season of all time, I'm like, yeah, probably. Well, I mean, I'm, I miss football so much. So like guys, and this is way off topic. We're about to move on, but I mean, Brandon, like they play old football games, basketball games, all kind of stuff on SEC network late at night. I caught myself watching like the 2006, like Arkansas, like Missouri game or something like that. It was some just random game. And I'm just like, bro, I am into this. I am so into yeah. this. Like that, that's that's when you know your life has amounted to. That's when you know you have a football problem is when you're watching reruns of Arkansas, Missouri. Well, and, and the other day I was sitting watching. I was I was flipping through the channels and I looked at ESPN. I saw there was college softball on. And I was like, all right, let's get it. It was a 2018 college softball game, and I was way too into it. Well, it's fun because like, does anyone remember what happened in the Arkansas, Missouri game even last year? Uh, no. Well, I don't think they played, but like, you know what I was, if they did, you wouldn't even know. Uh, but, no, I didn't <laughs> but guys, we're going to move on here. Last segment of the day, as we usually do, we're going to end the show with an exclusive recruiting update. Um, check out all our recent episodes for updates from all around the country. You can go all of that to like February. So dig through that catalog, find your favorite team, hear what we think about it. We're going to head back to the SEC today. A personal favorite, War Damn Eagle Baby, it's the Auburn Tigers, and they're trying to continue their success on the trail, following up a number seven class last season. Head coach Gus Malzahn is looking to continue building Auburn into an SEC contender. This class is headlined with seven top 400 recruits, and the Tigers still have over half their class left open. So the work's not done for Malzahn and the staff. Brandon, what's your take on this class, and do you see Auburn continuing their success in the SEC? Uh, yeah, honestly, I, I mean, to to see Auburn where they're at right now, you know, and last year they finished at number seven nationally uh, with recruiting. Um, it, it's it's looking up, right? I mean, they're already at number twenty-one. I, I feel like I say this for every single team that we cover, but I mean. This might be the most true one to date just because, uh, like you said, Auburn has more than half of their recruits left. Like, they're not they're, – there's really no cap. Uh, and, and I don't mean that like no cap. I mean, like, there's no cap to their potential this season because they have 12 
commits. Uh, they haven't really been recruiting Alabama the way that they normally do because that, that'll come on a little bit later, maybe signing day, uh, things like that. And, and so, I mean, if Auburn was to get all 25 commits this season, if they were to fill all 25 spots, then, I, I mean, inside of the top seven isn't, you know, that's not out of the realm of possibilities for them this year. No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think I, I, if I remember right, I think there's only one recruiting class under Gus Malzahn where Auburn didn't finish in the top 10. Um, right. And I believe in, in ESPN, they were even, what, like fourth or something like that this year? They were like right behind LSU. Cause, but um, I, I don't, I don't hold, I don't hold ESPN's class in high regard. Let's just say that. I know they were really high. They were higher in ESPN than they were, uh, 247. But, you know, I do want to highlight a major development from this class, something that, you know, someone who's not an Auburn fan wouldn't catch. And I know people who don't follow recruiting don't care where these recruits come from, but the Texas momentum that Auburn's racked up here has blown my mind. Um, as you know, Auburn hired new offensive coordinator Chad Morris from Arkansas after he was let go. Um, and he's he's a key recruiter in the state of Texas. He was the former SMU coach. His family was from there. His son, I, I believe, went to Oklahoma, if I'm not mistaken. And when he committed, he was a really high four star out of Texas. And, you know, from 2014, Brandon, to 2019, Auburn had two players signed from the state of Texas. And one of them was was transfer Jared Stidham, who was transferring out of Baylor. Um, And in 2020, last year's class, they had three. And already, I mean, Auburn has, I believe, 12 commits right now. Three of them are already from Texas. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it just blows my mind that Auburn's that, doing that work. And not only that, but, but the places, the place that it looks like they're, um, they're targeting Texas is the Houston area. And, and it's yeah. not like, Hey, these are just three random recruits from Houston. Uh, one's from, I think, what do we say? Is it, is it Katie? Yeah, I believe from. it was Katie. I, I believe it's Katie, Texas, and then the other two are from North Shore, I believe. Right, and, and North Shore is a team that you're going is a school that you're going to want to get in good with because uh, I don't know if you remember this, Zach, but we've talked about it a few times on the show. <laughs> uh, we, Your boy, we're about to change the name of this. Your yeah, boy, Zach Evans. We're we're about to change the name of the show to the Zach Evans Show before long because we talk about him so much. But this is the high school that he went to, and this is the high school that a lot of like really highly uh, touted recruits go to. And so by, by landing, uh, who, who was it? It was, it was uh, Jaden Roberts and Demetrius Davis, both out of North shore, both yep. top 200 players in the country. I mean, we got number 155 and 146. Uh, I mean, you're getting in good with this school. You know, there's, there's players in the school right now that are probably going to be pretty high up in the rankings over the next few years and maybe into the foreseeable future that are saying, Hey, you know, these, these two guys are, are some of the best guys that went to the school, and they're both at Auburn. You know, I want to follow in their footsteps. So I think Auburn's got a good thing going right now, uh, especially, I mean, recruiting North Shore. I mean, that's that's I can't a hurt. good job. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely can't hurt. I mean, so we'll move on to looking at some of the players in this class. And the top recruit in this class is Lee Hunter. He's the 55th overall player in the class, number six defensive tackle out of Technically, Mobile, Alabama. They haven't listed as eight mile. Same thing out of Blunt High School. 
Uh, me and Brandon know this school, know this area really, really well. <laughs> but, you know, um, by the way, Blunt, play-by-play announcer, legendary. Electric. Uh, I, I, I wish Auburn would hire him to call the games. That that dude, <laughs> literally, like during the game, like when we played Blunt, people were like, "Man, I just want to listen to him. Like, I want to play." But not the point of this segment. Um, and listen, I know people expect me to blow smoke, you know, up your, you know, what in this segment, especially with it being Auburn. Um, but I take pride in this segment. I give honest takes here and. I know me and Brandon are going to differ here, um, but I don't love this kid at all for Auburn. I know really? that that sounds terrible. That that That's like, what? What are you even talking about? He's the 55th ranked player. He's not going to be. I don't expect this kid to finish after the – I believe they have, what, three more re-ranks before they're completely finalized? They do one like right. mid-season, post-season, and then right after the uh, – what is it? The Nike uh, – it's the night like the opening or whatever it is it used to be like the mm-hmm. spark rating uh they do a third one after that i believe and so for me uh he just he doesn't have that explosion like he doesn't pop off the screen for me when i watch film the only the only thing that pops out to me is his size and that's that's great we'll get to that i, I love that about him that he has that size but i don't see elite hand movement i and he's so big and i don't know if it's because the talent he's playing against isn't like watching film from someone from Texas or someone from Georgia, but you know, he always looks like he's playing at 70% or like he has like ankle weights on. He, yeah, but I he, mean, what's, what's it, what's his job at defensive tackle? I mean, I know it's pretty hard uh, to follow up Derek Brown at Auburn at defensive tackle, but, but this guy's doing his job. He's plugging holes. He's, I mean, it's not his job to get a sack every play. It's well, not no, his I don't job want, to be the fastest player on the field. I don't want to sack. I mean, I've watched film from uh, players all across the country. I mean, doing this segment, especially, and there was a defensive end. We, I forgot what school we were analyzing, but he was not even in the top 1,200. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. His film looked better than this. And I don't know is if the whoever's helping him make his film didn't put as much effort in, but it's like there were some plays where it was like, what are you even doing? Like, why is this in your film? Like the, they they run a toss play, and the only thing in the highlight film is him throwing the center ten yards back. But it's like that center's not getting D one offers. It's like why are you worried about pancaking him when the play's fifteen yards away from you? Yeah, and it's just I mean, little it's little things like that that get me. And I know I'm being tough. And if if he was ranked the two hundredth player in the country, three hundredth, I'd be like, okay, that's fine. Like he has some development to do. But if you're telling me. You're looking me in the eye, two four seven, and telling me he's he. This kid was a five star before the rewrite, Brandon. He was like a top twenty player in the class, and right to me, like that's the only reason I'm being critical. And you know, like I told Brandon, this was gonna be hard because it was gonna go one of two ways. I was gonna be either way too high on a kid because he's coming to Auburn, or I was gonna be way too critical because I, I I I want Auburn to be successful, and I could just be picking up on little things, but. I just based on defensive linemen I've seen come to Auburn, it's like Byron Cowart was the number three player in the country at defensive end, and his film was much better than this, and he couldn't even sniff the field. On a, on a, on a, will, oh, go one ahead. One thing I will say, one thing I will say about him is that, and I know it's tough to say this because you can't say it about every single player, 
but you did talk about how familiar we are with this school and you know the conference that he, or the division that he plays in in Alabama high school football. You know That's that true. it's 6A Region 1, and he's playing the state champion uh, St. Paul. I mean, he's playing St. Paul's every single year. He's playing Daphne every single year. I mean, he's playing quality competition. This might be the best division in Alabama high school football. I mean, that includes 7A. And he's playing them in conference every single year. And while his film might not look like super, super impressive, I mean, you. I mean, these are the teams he's doing it against. He's doing it against offensive linemen that are getting scholarships to go play at at the Division One level. Right. I mean, I think they also play like Viger, who has had a lot of success at the next level. Um, and yeah, we do know the area. Like, I get it. It's just, I guess, coming into it, I just expected a little bit more. And listen, regardless of how I feel, I hope this kid comes in and he's the next Aaron Donald. I, I, you know what? I will eat my words on the podcast. I will apologize. We'll have an hour episode called the Lee Hunter apology if he comes in and does that. I'm just saying. And okay. listen, I mean, so for me, I think he, so Auburn likes to move their DNs around. I mean, their defensive line around. I mean, Derek, uh, Derek Brown, in, in, uh, for people who didn't watch all Auburn's games, he even played some defensive end in pass rushing situations. And I just I don't see this kid's ability to do that yet. I think he's going to be a developmental project, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you're going to Auburn, LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, Oregon, I mean Texas, Oklahoma, I mean there you might be the best kid at your high school, but there's some these schools are loaded with talent. I mean, right? Miles Brennan was probably the best player to ever play at his high school, and he he couldn't start at LSU yet. Like, there's nothing wrong with not being able to start yet, but, you know, he's already 6'5", 295. That's, that's a force, bro. That's a tank for being a, a what, junior in high school? That's a tank. Right. And he's tough to move. That's great. I like that. And he's a good run stopper. And if he works on his block shedding and works on his bull rush, pass rush game, I would say his finesse pass, pass rushing moves, I think he's going to be – Really, really good. It's just in today's game, Brad. I mean, we've seen the last few national champions, just Joe Burrow in the LSU offense, Trevor Lawrence in that Clemson offense, Tua, Kyler Murray at Bama and Oklahoma. I mean, you're going to, those interior defensive linemen have to be able to get to the quarterback. And you're you're right. It's just a different game. I mean, back in the day in the 70s when they only threw the ball 10 times a game, yeah, that's great to have a run stuffing defensive tackle, but. I need my defensive tackles nowadays to be able to run stuff and pass rush. And I want to, I see a lot of potential in Hunter. I think he's going to have to register at Auburn, especially because I believe last recruiting class, they had like five defensive linemen come in and they also had two junior college kids come in after that. So there's, it's a deep, deep defensive line room right now for Auburn. So I think he's going to have to develop some before we see a significant uh, contribution from him, but he has NFL potential, Brandon late mid round, maybe, but the, just the thing that gets me is I don't think he's a top 100 player in the class. I mean, we've analyzed people on here who I think are more deserving of the ranking than that, and I think that's what's getting me. But I still wish this kid best, and I I hope he I hope I am completely wrong. If I'm wrong on a take on this podcast, I hope it's this one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I'm sure you do, Zach. <laughs> but we're gonna move on to some players who I don't. I'm, I guess I'm less skeptical about. I'm actually really high on both of these guys. We're going to go to the offensive side of the ball, Brandon's favorite side of the ball to talk about. 
and we're gonna we're gonna start with Armani Goodwin, number eighty nine player in the country, number five running back out of Trustville, Alabama. That's like the middle upper part of Alabama, guys. In case you don't know where that is, and listen, if you like speed, athleticism, and playmaking ability. Go watch this kid's film and introduce yourself to Armani Goodwin because this kid is ridiculous in all three of those areas. And before you get too happy, he did miss all but three games last season due to an ACL and MCL injury. So I'd like to see him recover from that. But his sophomore year, Brandon, over 1,400 yards rushing and eight touchdowns, which broke down to almost 10 yards per carry. And if you average 10 yards per carry against anybody, that's impressive. No, I mean, no doubt. I mean, this kid is going to be a star. The only thing I guess I could be a little concerned about is his size. Uh, he's 5'8", but he's big. I mean, he's 190. So on that 5'8 frame, I mean, that's that's a great size for a running back. Um, and I say that I'm concerned. I mean, then you sit back and you, you think about the running back position. You think about uh, guys that have passed through college and onto the NFL. I mean, he's a junior in high school. He's weighing in at 5'8", 190. So as a junior in high school, what do you have? You have nothing but time, so you're going to grow. He might get taller. He might get bigger. I, I can say almost without a doubt he's going to get bigger before he steps on the field for Auburn. Um, I can see this kid. I, I mean, who knows the last time he weighed in, by the way. I think his last official measurement was like – I think he was a sophomore. I think it was like 2019. And so – you know, who know, he could be 200 pounds now. We, we just don't know. And I can guarantee you he's going to get another 10, 15 pounds while he's at Auburn in the offseason before the actual season starts. Yeah, I, I believe so. I mean, like you said, uh, 190, and he and this was measured a while ago because he was, like you said, he was injured. So he could be closer to 200, 205 right now, which 5'8", 205 is a tank, man, especially with his speed. And I promise you he's not putting fat on. This kid's most likely putting serious, serious muscle on. And, you know, like you said, we saw Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at LSU. I mean, even Auburn, there's been success with smaller running backs. You go all the way back to Ontario McCaleb in 2010 with Cam Newton, 5'10", 160. Tiny, tiny in terms of just how big he is. He was a thousand yard rusher at Auburn. And then you go to Corey Grant in 2013, the national championship appearance with Nick Marshall. He was 5'10, 200 pounds. I mean, not, he's a little bit bigger than Goodwin is, but he's still on the smaller side of running backs. And then go look at Sean Shivers, 5'7, 180, and ask Alabama's Xavier McKinney what happened when Sean Shivers starts coming downhill. He's still looking for his head. Still looking for his head, and you know, I, I bought a painting of that, and it's up in my living room, and I look <laughs> at it every day. Like, it's it's a great picture. That that's one of the. I was in that end zone when it happened too, man, and like there were some Bama fans sitting in front of me, and I know, I know, I kicked this girl in the head because I jumped so high. It, it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. They left right after that play too, and I, I hope they had a good drive home. But, um, you know, Goodwin's not going to be a. a He's not going to be able to carry a full load. I don't think he's a 25-30 carry a game back. But at Auburn, they always like to rotate one, two to three backs with one back they can rely on late. And I think Goodwin could do that. And so he's not going to have to do it all on his own. And also, all those those three running backs I mentioned earlier, and McCaleb, Shivers, and Grant, 
all contributed early at Auburn on special teams. And with Goodwin's mix of speed and athleticism and his playmaking ability, I think you're going to see Goodwin returning kicks and punts early in his career, even if he's not the feature back as a freshman or sophomore. Right. Okay. I mean, I, it, it's just so like, I'm also, I mean, I don't know about you. I'm kind of worried about that ACL injury. Like that, that makes me a little stressed because you never like to see that, especially with a quick, a quick twitch athlete like Goodwin, where he likes to shift around in the backfield and stuff like that. You don't want to see it, but I mean, if it's going to happen to you at one point in your career, I mean, I don't want to say we're glad it happened now, but I mean, are you glad it happened now or would you rather it happen while he's at Auburn? <laughs> that's fair enough and i mean there's been there, uh, i forgot his name it's the same surgeon who does alabama and auburn's acl injuries it's like the most famous oh, so he's just gonna come back he's just gonna come back better than he was before exactly i, for, I forgot it. i forgot the doctor's name he's famous but i'll get i'll get y'all that next episode i was slacking on that information but my favorite recruit you know i i cheated I didn't do like a super, super underrated recruit and Auburn really didn't have any like that was like outside the top a thousand or whatever like that. But I picked a recruit where I feel like he should be extremely, extremely higher rated than he is and take place of Lee Hunter. If you switch these two guys, I would have no problem. And that is Demetrius Davis. The 155th overall player, number six dual threat quarterback out of North Shore. We mentioned the school earlier. We mentioned him earlier. And listen, guys, it's been a long time. Um, actually, it's been all the way back since Nick Marshall, since Auburn had a quarterback that fit the system perfectly. And I am so, 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 so excited that we have another one come into Auburn because Bo Nix and Jared Stenham are not made for that offense. Bo Nix can move a right. little bit. He's he definitely moves better than Stidham, but you can like does anyone respect Bo Nix on the read option for real? Um, I do. I like it. <laughs> Who do you fear more? Um, watching this kid's film, would you fear Davis more or Nix? Um, probably Davis. This kid's a stud. Yeah, or or let's even go back. Nick Marshall or Bo Nix? Uh. Nick Marshall. Uh, well, even though Nick even Marshall. though as an LSU fan, you probably would not really worry about Nick Marshall because Nick Marshall. <laughs> well, I don't know. They, they did okay. Never mind. Never mind. I forgot. I forgot. Uh, Nick Marshall also beat LSU in 2014. Uh, LSU was, was beat Auburn in 2013 on their national championship runs. So I was like, maybe you don't fear him as much. But then I forgot Nick Marshall in his second year beat LSU 41 41 to seven. Um, we don't need so to talk we'll, about that. We'll, we'll just drop that. Um, but listen, guys, back to Davis. Perfect quarterback for Auburn system, like I said. And he has decent size, which I think uh, – I don't know how you feel about this, Brandon. I think this is why he's a little bit lower rated because a lot of these top dual threat guys that I looked at, they're all prototypical quarterback size. But Davis is only 5'11", about 200, 205 pounds, which is on the smaller side for a quarterback. Yeah, it's – He's he's short, but uh, I mean, there's there's some pretty short quarterbacks in the in the NFL right now that, <laughs> that kind of make you kind of make you question whether or not you should worry about his height. I must say, you hear some noise out of Seattle right now. Um, Russell Wilson's yeah. calling, but he has really good speed. He runs about a four eight. I think he's going to get faster. I mean, that's only as a junior. So, and for a quarterback, I mean, do you always have to have Lamar Jackson speed? I don't think you do. I mean. Deshaun Watson was what four seven four six 
40 and he's I, I would say I would take Deshaun Watson right now in terms of athleticism right. on my quarterback. Absolutely. And I'm for sure. <laughs> it's just like no doubt. But I mean, a, his ability to throw at all levels of the field is what makes I, which is what gets me excited about him because Auburn's lacked that at some points. I mean, Nixon Stidham really dominated in screens and short passes, but they both were inconsistent at best over the middle of the field and uh, like with deep balls and miles on offense. There's not a lot of middle of the field passing, but with Chad Morris coming in, I feel like there's going to be more of that. So for this kid to already have that accuracy down is what makes me excited for him. I mean, we've seen Chad Morris be successful with Deshaun Watson, with Taj Boyd. Um, and, you know, maybe it didn't work out in Arkansas, but I think it's a lot different being an offensive coordinator than a head coach. I think that, I think that's very, very clear with some people who make it as a head coach and don't. I mean, but listen, Davis has dominated this Texas high school circuit in his first two years. Over 5,700 passing yards, Brandon, 73 passing touchdowns, only seven interceptions in that time, over 1,500 yards rushing and 27 rushing touchdowns. So this kid has 100 total touchdowns to only seven turnovers. That's impressive. I'll Especially, you already said that this this uh, Dallas area is loaded with talent. Oh, for sure, absolutely. And well, I'm sorry, this, you're talking you're talking about you're talking about Houston. Oh yeah, Houston. My bad, not Dallas. Um, but yeah, this like really both circuits are loaded. But that he plays in Houston's area. But Brandon, he's led North Shore to back to back six A Texas State titles as a starting quarterback. And it's 31 and one as a starter. And I, I believe I read, I don't know how accurate it is because you know how high school stats are. They're kind of all over the place. But his one loss was in his first game as a starter, from what I read. So he's 30 and 0 in his last 30 games. Right. No, I mean, it's, it's great. Outrageous. And like, let's not say he has help, guys. I mean, Zachary Evans just came from the program. And, you know, we talked about his teammate Jayden is already, Roberts. Yeah. So he has help, but for a quarterback, regardless, if you're 31 and one as a starting quarterback, that's impressive regard, like no matter what, where you're playing or who you're playing with. And this kid, he was the max prep national sophomore of the year. He was a district 21, six, a MVP in 2018. I, this kid's a winner. He, uh, that's what I love. You can't teach winning intangibles and this kid's coming with it. And, I feel like sometimes you get players who are immensely talented, but they played for high schools or they transferred in from programs with that didn't have a winning culture and they lacked those winning intangibles that they apply to late game situations where one one or two plays can determine the game and you need a kid with these with this ability. And for me, his like his his winning his pocket presence his playmaking ability he's going to be a multi year starter in the SEC and listen I, I'm not not taking a shot at Bo Nix here I, I'm so ready for Davis to get to Auburn and be on campus because really and truly I think he has much much more upward potential and upward movement in this Auburn offense than Bo Nix does just because of the fit he is and you know I I was talking to my friend about this and. I think Bo Nix is going to be the better NFL quarterback and have the longer NFL career. I think Davis is going to have the much better college career over Bo Nix. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that happening. Um, 
I want to move on just a second, uh, and and it's, it and quite literally just a second because I don't have too much to say about him. But my underrated player, I did, I wasn't cheat, I wasn't cheating like Zach. I chose a player in the seven hundreds here. Um, so my underrated player is going to be Garner Langlo, uh, out of Ocala, Florida. Um, he played three A football there, so I'll, I'll just put that out there as a disclaimer. It's still Florida high school football, so I'm not going to sit here and bag on this kid right now. But watching his film, and he's an offensive lineman, by the way. He's a guard, but he's the biggest guard in the history of high school football. He's six seven two seventy. I don't know what six seven two seventy pound monster isn't playing tackle in high school. I'd hate to see their left <laughs> tackle. I guess uh, he must be the biggest kid in the world. But no, I mean this kid's going to come in and be a stud. Uh, it, it's incredible to me his uh, his game speed and his ability to get from the first second levels. Um, his ability to pull. He, he is incredibly quick to be on such a huge frame. Yeah, man, he's definitely underrated. And if it weren't for my love for Davis here, I probably would have went with this kid. And like you said, I mean, and he's six, seven and plays guard. But in today's game, I mean, Brandon, I know we've kind of talked about this off, you know, recording and in today's game with how much emphasis you have on passing the ball, you need these versatile offensive linemen all across the ball. Because, I mean, defensive lines are moving edge rushers inside. So these interior right. defensive linemen have to be athletic as ever to handle something like that. And a lot of these linebackers are coming inside. And so if if you have a linebacker like we talked about, Owen Papo a few episodes ago, who runs a 4-4, you, got, you better start moving or you aren't even going to have a shot at him. And you see it with tackles being quick because they have to catch ed- edge rushers, but everyone sleeps on athleticism inside. And, and like we talked about, you have to be able to play more than one position because in case of an injury, it only adds to your value if the coach trusts you to move you inside if an injury occurs. If they have confidence they can play you anywhere, odds of you seeing the field as an offensive lineman skyrocket because there's five positions. If you can play all five, odds are you're going to find the field. But if you're stuck and like you can only play right tackle, then your odds become way less of starting, especially at a D1 SEC program. Right. Um, and and so I am very high on this kid. Uh, there is another offensive lineman that, that I'm going to mention very briefly, and that's Jamarian Gooch. Uh, he's ranked number 777 in the class. So he's Auburn's lowest ranking uh, recruit at the moment. The reason I didn't mention him is because uh, just a few days ago, Georgia offered him. And so I, I have a feeling this kid's going to be uh, taking a few moments to think about his commitment before he's mm-hmm. he's all locked it's, in. You just had to take one more shot at me, huh? I see how it I is, did. bro. Yeah. I see how it is. So, hey, I mean, to be fair, we almost stole Broderick Jones you know, last recruiting almost. cycle. So almost, but I mean, I feel like every recruit Auburn has committed, every recruit Georgia has committed, um, you know, they were recruited by both schools. So this is a, this is a thing for me. Hey, I'll, I'll take a quick aside and then we'll end the show. I mean, Brandon, you know, everyone talks about Alabama and Auburn competing with recruits. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. They do compete for okay. in-state recruits out of Alabama, sometimes Florida, but Auburn and Georgia have a much bigger, to me, recruiting rivalry than Alabama-Auburn. And it's because, as as we know, I don't know if some of our listeners know, Auburn is 
much closer to Georgia than it is uh, well the state of Georgia than it is even Alabama's campus. Oh yeah, it's only it, it's only like a thirty minute or so drive to Georgia from Auburn's campus. It's not far at all. I mean, depending on how you go the speed limit. For me, it's like a thirty minute drive. Um, but <laughs> it, it, the, go the speed limit, guys. Buckle up, stay safe. But <laughs> for for me, Auburn recruits out of Georgia much more than Al, Alabama recruits nationally. But Auburn has much more of a footprint in Georgia, and so with Georgia, they really they really who do they compete with? Georgia Tech in that state. Not really. I mean, Georgia Tech's not going for the four and five stars that Georgia goes for. And I see this a lot. Auburn, Georgia compete so, so hard for these Georgia commits because they're the two closest big schools to where a lot of these kids live. So if location comes a factor, Athens is right there and Auburn's right there. And Atlanta is about the same distance from Athens and Auburn. So it's a yeah. huge thing, and Atlanta's a hotbed for talent. And you, and that's why I think you see a lot more kids come down to Auburn, Georgia, as their final two than you do – than you see kids now come down to Alabama, Auburn. Right. Yeah, I agree. It's, just, it's a little tidbit. You know, like it's something that I picked up on. But, guys, we're going to wrap up the show here, man. Over an hour again, man. We Apparently, we've been killing these hours. These hours seem to keep getting shorter and shorter here on the Blue Bloods. I don't know what's going on here. But uh, we're wrapping this up real slowly for you guys. But, guys, social media, Instagram, at the underscore Blue Bloods. Facebook, at the Blue Bloods pod. Twitter, at the underscore underscore Blue Bloods. Check out our website thebluebloodspod.com. You can find the podcast anywhere. R- rate the podcast, like the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, do whatever you do. Find us on YouTube, the Blue Blood CFB podcast. Subscribe there. Tell your friends, family, empl- employee, and you know, and your coworkers. Everyone's going back to work now. Do that. Tell people in the store. We might have to come out with some Blue Bloods masks so you guys can wear us in the store. Um, but for right now, guys, we'll be back next week with two new episodes but for right now we out